0: Welcome to the Performance Nutrition Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. Welcome back or welcome to the Performance Nutrition Podcast. I'm Mark Bubbs, and this is season number six. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Dr. Emma Tester. Head of Performance Nutrition for the Tottenham Hotspurs of the English Premier League. In this episode, we discuss how Emma's nutrition philosophy has evolved over the years, the ruthless nature of pro football and the importance of soft skills. She also talks about the value of small wins for players, her work in women's performance nutrition, the intersection of mental health and performance, and a whole lot more. Really insightful conversation here with Emma. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Before we get started, a quick announcement. The Football Performance Nutrition Online Summit last week was a great success with over 500 practitioners and SNC coaches signed up. Tremendous talks from experts in the field like Kate Calloway of the Carolina Panthers, John Parenti of the Miami Dolphins, Will Greenberg of the Buffalo Bills, Matt Frakes of LSU Football, and many, many more. If you'd like to access the nine summit talks, you can save 50% off the cost using the promo code TAKE50 just head over to com forward slash football. Again, save 50% off the Summit Talks using the promo code TAKE50 at performance nutrition podcast.com forward slash football to it up to speed on all the latest research and get the cutting-edge insights from people working in the trenches in pro and elite college football. We're already looking forward to the 2023 edition and a special shout-out to Designs for Sport for powering us through the summit this year. All right, let's get this rolling, my conversation with Dr. Emma Tester. Emma, appreciate you uh, carving out some time today to do with us.
1: Sure, no problem, no problem.
0: Well, listen, I'd love to, to start the conversation off by learning a bit more about your background and, and how you got into your role as performance nutritionist with the Tottenham Hotspurs.
1: Sure. Um, I feel like it was a fairly like traditional route. I went to um university and did sports science as my undergrad um because i enjoyed pe which was the main kind of reason why i got into it like a lot of um, us yeah yeah i didn't that was it good at sport good at pe i'll go and do sports science um then i realized oh, i actually really like the science element of this as well and it wasn't until my third year at university that i did any nutrition so i hadn't had exposure to that before um found i was good at Found i really enjoyed it so went on to do like um sport nutrition masters um did that for uh the year and picked up um an internship within the university's like performance department mm-hmm. so getting deployed out onto lots of different sporting groups athletes individual projects some research work um just where picking was that up. Ever? That was in Leeds, sorry. So um, at the time it was, this is how I am if anyone Googles the university, Leeds Metropolitan, and now it's Leeds Beckett. Um, and it was in their Carnegie sort of center for sport performance was where my internship was based. Um, nice. And like I say, it was, I must have worked with 50 different sports in the space of a year from slalom canoe to traditional kind of team sports to um para table tennis athletes and just a whole range of stuff so it was a really kind of broad grounding in working with athletes from different backgrounds different sports and different kind of training status um so yeah Yeah, i was gonna say
0: if we pause there for a minute and just talk about that exposure to these different sports where the demands are markedly different from one to the next do you remember back what were some of the things that maybe you're thinking about challenges or you know, excitement of being able to work in different spaces?
1: I think at that point um, it was really a time to get into the reading and a lot of what I was trying to do at the time was very literature read as what was mm-hmm. being kind of drilled into as having an evidence basis for what you're doing is critical um, mm-hmm. the internship I was under um, had a really strong mentor so it wasn't just go off and work with some of these athletes it was actually I had literally like uh interview practice and we do group sessions and how you phrase certain questions with athletes um how you get more information out of them as well as the sort of literature element we it was really important to pick up those soft skills and I think that's often a thing that sports science disciplines that pathway can lack as opposed to say the dietetic Mm -hmm. route. and so the the course leader of that program was um a dietitian by trade so knew how critical those soft skills and the way of phrasing and approaching gaining information was how how important it was to be skillful at that so it was a really really well-developed intern program at that time because this is in sort of 2010 2011 this was before mm-hmm. SENR had taken off and um, all those sort of real understandings of becoming a a well-rounded sport nutritionist so like it was it yeah, was a really important time to know your stuff and then know how to get information that's going to help you assist athletes so
0: And are there a few examples, Emma, off the top of your head of just the way that athletes might answer questions, whether it was then or now, that sort of don't quite answer your question or you're not getting everything you want and you then have to rephrase it or come at it at a different angle to try to achieve that outcome?
1: It really depended on the athlete I was working with. There were some that had come to the performance center wanting support Mm -hmm. and really open and really forthcoming with information as opposed to where we were working with different sporting groups and we had been told this athlete, you need to speak to them. Or, help, yeah. or this athlete is going to come and speak to you. Sort of it's whether it, it was choice. So whether mm-hmm. the athlete is choosing to have nutrition support or whether they've just been advised that it would be a good thing for them. Yeah. So the way that you kind of you phrase your questions for for someone not as keen to seek support, you've really just got to get to know what's driving them. Um, mm-hmm. What is their kind of um, ultimate purpose of them as an athlete? Mm-hmm. Because, and I find it more so when I've worked with, with team sports is that they're not there because they want to become the world's best chef they're there because they like kicking a ball about with their mates ultimately
0: yeah. and they're pretty so, good at it
1: yeah that's the thing they're really good at that and it's got them to a very high standard so what's your one coming in asking me about what i'm eating doing sort of thing so it
0: can easily feel like a bit of an interrogation can it with the yeah. players not into it it can feel like they're being assessed versus yeah. hey we're here to help you yeah because they're already at that level and they're already yeah. highly skilled right
1: very much so you really got to figure out what are the barriers for this person who doesn't necessarily want to engage and it's it's finding out about their life their family situations their day-to-day activities and habits more of that information than what do you like to eat for breakfast or what do you Mm -hmm. eat for your lunch every day because you ask them a question about food as a nutritionist they're a bit more reluctant to say things whereas like you ask them about what their day looks like. And if they're a student athlete, well, when are your lectures? What courses are you enjoying? Those types of questions that get to know more of the person that bring them more round to sharing information when you do want to bring up food into the conversation. Whereas like someone who's there because they've come for support is generally a lot more open. And sometimes you might ask them one question and, and then they'll be hold. talking for 15 minutes, and you don't have <laughs> like, to okay, say anything okay. else. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, so that, that's really interesting. That definitely dovetails with my experience of uh, sometimes spending most of the visit talking about personal things to really just yeah. build all that rapport, and then you know, yeah. at the very end, trying to carve out a little bit of information that you're trying to get. And yeah. For yourself, over that span, you know, leading into working in, in pro football, pro soccer, you know, what's your how's your philosophy evolved?
1: I think when it comes to the role I'm in now specifically is a very different type of role from when I first started out as a practitioner. Now being in a head position, a lot more of my time is spent on strate- overall strategy development. Um, and when I joined Spurs, provisionally it was only going to be for, for the season. Um, so it was really about kind of um, being very responsive to what the new coaching group were requesting, mm-hmm. um, getting to know the players as much as possible, but also it's a very high-pressure environment and a lot is controlled by the powers that be. So being responsive to that, mm-hmm. as much as being kind of dealing with um, the players on the daily basis, it was a really um, different role for me coming into here. Um, I think when it comes to sort of my overall, Overall philosophies around nutrition is that it has to be sustainable. So whatever the approach is, is going to work if the player is able to continue it. Mm -hmm. So rather than it being some bizarre intervention that is completely off the mark from what they're normally doing, it's actually like, we'll assess what the player does normally. And the type of individual they are, and their adherence to
0: mm-hmm.
1: nutrition programs, and how we're we going to tweak it and change it, and eventually, you might be able to go from a starting point to the kind of um, the designer diet that you want. Mm-hmm. But it's a very staggered process to get there sometimes, and sometimes you'll get there quicker with some individuals, and sometimes it will take a lot more tweaks. To get to a sound
0: point so yeah that,
1: that seems be to be something approach. that as we're
0: yo- younger practitioners we sort of have this idea of what we oh, want yeah, that think goal you're standard to the be works. and we're yeah. going to come yeah. in and we're going to give them this list and it's going to be amazing we're going to achieve all these outcomes yeah. and then the reality is just what you mentioned of all these different stakeholders that are involved all the different yeah. pressures and people talking to the athlete yeah and we quickly realize that okay we're going to need to take a more Mm -hmm. nuanced approach. And and to your point, it's going to, depending on the athlete, some are going to progress quite nicely along that curve that you imagine, and others are going to take a lot longer. And with, with the different stakeholders, how do you find in your role, you know, it's obviously difficult to be able to establish relationships with players, Mm -hmm. with coaching staff changes. And then, and again, the pressures of the different people talking to the, to the athletes, Mm -hmm. you know, there's certain strategies or again, sort of philosophies that you have to help try to build that into your program.
1: Again, I think it's been really different for me because I was only ever going to be here temporarily. (laughs) So my approach was very different to maybe what I would have taken if I was coming into into a permanent position, I would be Mm -hmm. here for the long haul. I've had to make very rapid changes and modifications to the whole nutrition service Mm -hmm. that I didn't expect to make because of coaching changeovers. So I was Mm -hmm. kind of coming in, hoping to just keep the ship sailing along nicely And we get a new coaching group in with a whole different philosophy and beliefs around nutrition that I have to be very responsible for making change very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, This is, pro football in the UK is, um, like, it's relentless, it's savage. It can be, if someone doesn't like you, you're gone. Yeah. Because there's always someone there to take a place. So I think people, um, it sounds ruthless and it is ruthless, but people are expendable. And me, I'm not precious about that. I know if I leave in a week in a month, in 10 years, give it a week and no one will remember because there's someone else. There's mm-hmm. this constant evolution that kind of happens that you just, you have to roll with and deal with and be very, very adaptable. So,
0: yes, sounds a lot like American sport with, the, you know, the NBA yeah. or the NFL or whatnot, where um, everything's moving at a quick pace and mm. we've got to be able to react very acutely. Yeah. And as a practitioner, you've got your sort of big rocks or the things that you like mm-hmm. to establish. So, yeah. you know, you touched on some of the acute changes you have to make. Mm. Are you able to share a couple of things that you sort of had to pivot on quite quickly to be able to adjust oh. to the new regime?
1: So we had the new coaching group come in and they they didn't want to see a buffet. And athletes, in general, are bought up on a buffet. <laughs> they, you educate them on what to select, what to put onto their plates. This coaching group were like, get rid of the buffet and just give them what they should eat. Just tell them what mm. they should eat. Now I'm very much a person as well, people have free will, so maybe not quite like that, but... yeah. We have had to implement a system where we don't have a player buffet. Every player has an individually designed menu selection mm-hmm. um, that is tailored to the gram of what they need. Yep. Um, it's based as much as we can on their training demands. Um, it's a completely different way of athlete. We've had some athletes some of our older players who've been bought off on a buffet for 20 years and they're like why can't I have the buffet <laughs> it's completely foreign to them I know that it's like in terms of gold standard nutrition it in is top practice. level yeah mm. it is but it's very different approach for teams for athletes to be to be undertaking and what was really important for me is that the players feel they are able to select their foods that they like to eat and we build the menus around their choices. So there is still the element of choice. Yeah. There are, to a certain extent, no limits on what they can pick to go into their menu. We mm-hmm. might modify quantities or there are certain foods, common sense foods that, no, they can't have pizza at lunch. every day that's not in their menu yeah Yeah, like i mean some of them would love that but like there are common sense things that are kind of off the table Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when they're eating in our training facility when they're eating with us on the road but ultimately the world's their oyster and we'll build them a menu around Mm -hmm. that which is it's the most individualised way of nutrition that I've known in a team sport environment. But again, that's just because the club is invested in nutrition, is really supportive of what we're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. The coaches know what we're doing is outstanding. The coaches are really pleased with it. The players, it's still kind of a building process, getting them to engage with it especially because, like I say, some have had 20 years of completely different methods. So Mm -hmm. it's challenging, but I think it's a case of um, perseverance with the process and trying to get small wins with the guys that are less inclined to, um, or less, they don't like it so much.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But
1: it's a case of, okay, how do we work with this guy and try and get them that bit More on board bit by bit and week to week and month to month. There's there's been progress, but there's still a way to go because it's not been done for them before.
0: Yeah, there's always there's always more, isn't there? When we're sort of at least we're moving towards the mountain, towards the goal. It's always the 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 top priority. And for yourself as director of performance nutrition, what are some of those big rocks or key fundamentals that are overarching this plan? And you know, you, you alluded to a few of them around, you know whether it's carbohydrate, energy. Yeah,
1: that's really the key fundamentals for us because the the football, soccer schedule is relentless. We could have two, three game weeks. Um, We recently went through a phase of, we had a fairly prolonged recovery between matches. We maybe had five or six days between games, which is quite foreign in football. I'm used to that from my rugby background. Yeah. Um, but then we had to switch from these five or six day turnarounds to suddenly we had we had less than forty eight hours between kickoffs, which was just it's intense. Wow. So really aggressive, fueling strategies, recovery strategies when we need to, and then what we'll look at is is when we do have more prolonged kind of recovery in there, what do we need to do? How do we need to manipulate the the menu plans the the volumes of foods, the quantity of carbohydrate, how do we maybe need to match that best to their training output? Um, Mm. With the squad this season, we've had two coaching groups, one for the first sort of, uh, I think it was three or four months period. And then since November, we had a new coaching group, completely different training style their outputs went through the roof when the new guys came in. It's had a massive impact on body composition in a, in a really favorable way, but also we had to make sure that it kind of didn't go too far Mm -hmm. and weight starts dropping off and we go into a big run of games and we need to make sure that players are holding their weight, staying, staying healthy, which is our key fundamental when it comes to those really intensified competition periods. It's, we can't lose players to coughs and colds because they're not fueling and recovering properly. We need Absolutely. to really make sure that they're, they're nailing down their fueling and recovery strategies. So that's really the key fundamental for me in football. Very different from my rugby experience. Um, it was a lot more strength-based, gym-based training program Mm -hmm. so completely different approach to to what i'm doing here it was getting heavy keeping heavy building muscle recovering from a different type of training stimulus whereas here here, they're running 11 12 okay in a game but they're also potentially doing kind of overall output is is high so we've got to match it from a from a fueling point of view so let's like say carbohydrate energy is is really the focus for us
0: yeah and you mentioned obviously you know energy expenditure really ramping up with the new coaching group when it comes to assessment tools like body composition or way in way outs, what are you guys you know what are some of the tools that you might use to be able to inform you that hey player players losing too much muscle mass or getting you know we're not, we're not refueling adequately.
1: In terms of um, weight, overall weight monitoring, so um, because we have so many fixtures through the week, we do um, a match day minus one weight measure. Um, uh, we don't take it every day. Uh, the players might be in with us every day, but um, for me, it's just too much. Uh, it's quite easy. And you see some players they start to show a bit of obsession around the scales. So, yeah. um, I mean, they could if they wanted to weigh themselves every day, that's fine, but we we keep a record of the match day minus one, which could be, like I say, two to three um, weigh-ins a week, as it were. So we use that mm-hmm. as a kind of monitoring tool. Um, we do skin fold assessment. Um, we do it more frequently than I have Previously in my experience and again that's the compromise between coaches request and then professional yep. practice so um we do do it more frequently um and it does depend on the player as well so if we have a player who shows very good stability in terms of skinfold assessment we don't measure them as frequently if they're yeah. moving by very stable money. Yeah. Name, yeah what's the point in throwing that into their heads as well they have enough on they're here to play going on not to do anything else from it. It. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> so um we don't measure those guys as frequently for the guys that are further off their target or show a lot more fluctuation to a season we do measure them more frequently um we measure our injured guys more frequently as well from a skinfold point of view um that's in general what we currently do what we're fortunate enough to be able to do here we're setting up um a research program around body composition so we're able to um we're going to be installing a DEXA scanner on site so we'll be able to that utilize that through the season um again sticking within all the kind of advisory regulations we will do it three to four times a season um potentially sort of um maybe more frequently if we have any long-term injuries but we'll also be able to utilize that for a much more accurate assessment of muscle mass maintenance throughout the course of a season so that's something that we are implementing um for next season which is exciting and to me, in my previous experience, I would have used uh, DEXA and skinfold assessment alongside each other to give a much yeah. more rounded picture because there are certain assumptions you can make from anthropometric measures. However, um, there are sometimes assumptions. So it just gives a bit more detail and a bit more clarity on what really is happening for this individual athlete at key time periods where you might want to Again, if we're having intensified competition period, do we need to see what is happening to the guys at that period? We have the World Cup Um, this year. We might, if possible, be able to do some work around where they leave, what they return at, what the impact of the World Cup will have from a muscle mass point of view, from an overall health point of view as well, which is if we can get everything kind of in, signed off and done, that will be quite exciting and some quite um, novel information for us. So um, it's it's a developing piece, I think. It just shows, again, the the investment the club has in nutrition and driving the quality of provision that we have on. I think what will be really important for, for me as well is, is to integrate um, a research programme for... Our women's squad and also from an academy point of view as well looking at growth maturation and bone health and, and healthy developing young boys um so again just the whole sort of avenue of research we, we're going to be able to go down is is massive and it's just a testament that the club is there to support that so it's um it's a really kind of <coughs> positive place to be as a nutrition practitioner which is nice and and being able to have autonomy and control over that is, is again tremendous. Yeah. It's it's the ideal kind of position you want to be in as a practitioner, which is nice.
0: It's interesting you talk about, you know, that ability to have the hands on the athlete with the caliper test and, and what that information can tell you when you're actually sort of touching an athlete or even the conversations mm-hmm. you might have versus something like a DEXA scan. You know, following up on that with the athletes that are struggling to, to get leader. Mm-hmm. You know, between a caliper test where we are pinching and prodding, or or a DEXA, or some of the trends that you see those athletes in terms of their dietary patterns, mm. you know, what are some of the things that? Well, where does your brain go? What are you thinking about when you see that athlete struggling in terms of some of the roadblocks that might be preventing them from achieving that that, that outcome?
1: I think w- within this environment, we have um, professional athletes training to such a high standard. These are top-flight players
0: of the top flight professional players even (laughs) if
1: they are not able to achieve a good standard of body composition and especially the coaching group we have in with us now training stimulus has so much more of an impact with these guys than i would argue that their nutritional intake does Mm -hmm. so if a player is training to the level that we are, and their body composition is still not shifting, to improving, then I think that really does highlight where they are essentially, excuse my language, fucking about with their nutrition.
0: Yeah.
1: You cannot train to this level and still not hit targets is yeah. the basis it's of gonna,
0: it. It's going to show it itself. It shows,
1: right? it really shows up. And I think there's, I mean... I think it's actually by the end of this season, all the players have hit the targets that they needed to. So yeah. again, that's just testament to, to the overall training philosophy and approach that is implemented here. And again, that shift towards player engagement with nutrition, within engaging with their overall targets. Again, because we set targets that are realistic for that individual athlete as well. Yeah we might tweak and change these as as we see progression and we see actually they are able to hit these targets can we can we make it a little harder, mm-hmm. so that there may be certain positional groups that they are more in line with not just the average but are, are we all pushing to be the best, and that's kind of what you need there's There's no point necessarily just working towards like our, is there minimum standard for that position. No, (laughs) if we're top flight you're all going to try and be the best and that's what you should all be trying to achieve so i think it's it's it really shows like i say if they're not on board with their nutrition and at times that's fine because you might go mental yeah
0: yeah for sure
1: so that's fine but on the whole you need to be on your game if not it really shows up if you aren't able to cope with the training if you're the one that's flagging in sessions and everyone else around you is flying it shows, it highlights quite easily so I think we've got to a position with, with this group of players that say 90% are as they should be um, and like I say that there are some that they go through periods where they're really engaged with it and then they drop off. But again, they can only do that for a certain period of time before it shows in their output and their performance. So um yeah. yeah
0: the learning curve's always steeper for some and uh, like yeah. you said it's it's top flight, ruthless environment. And so
1: that's a thing you've and got like gotta
0: get with it pretty quick or else someone else is there to yeah. step into your spot.
1: It's objective data as well. It's not just my opinion of what you look like.
0: Sure. Which yeah, is yeah, sometimes exactly. the
1: the kind of the thing that happens with coaches is what they're seeing as opposed Mm -hmm. to numbers. Whereas like, I'm a very much like an objective data person. And Mm -hmm. how are you feeling in those sessions? Um, not just based on what an individual looks like. So if there's an opinion on what the person looks like from maybe the coaches and my numbers match that there's no hiding from, Mm -hmm. from that objectiveness and, if the player flags that they're fatigued all the time, they're sore all the time, they're not sleeping well, you can quite easily highlight they individuals ask, and yeah. they literally, they'll flag across a number of things, not just a body comp point of view. It'll be across their jump outputs, their recovery markers that the guys mm. are assessing. So um, when you do find the guys that are, you suspect maybe they're, their nutrition intake isn't as good as it should be, then it's a case of trying to work with them. And again, those tweaks and changes, if, yeah. they're, if they have a really loose approach to nutrition, you're not going to change that overnight. That's no. been the case. It's taken as a season for everyone to be hitting the goals.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's, it's working with those small changes that you can, like we had one guy this year. Um, we just had to get him to stop drinking six oranges juice a day. We were like, maybe yeah. just have two. There's a small improvement there. And he was kind of like, fine. And bit by bit, just those little changes and little modifications, as opposed to being some kind of radical interventionist.
0: It is amazing how those little changes, the players says <laughs> fine, and then they make that change and all of a sudden they feel a little bit better. They feel a better energy. Yeah. And, now, and now the next intervention that you lay out is that much easier. Or you might even get the athlete coming to you now and say, geez, Emma, what else can I do next?
1: And then I ask you at mealtime, time, what should I eat? What should I pick today? It's like,
0: oh. Yeah. it's like, wow, okay. We'll (laughs) make your progress. If we we pivot here and talk about the women's game, you know, as you oversee the women's team as well, what are some of the biggest differences that you're looking to support compared to the men's game?
1: Um, So this will be the first period of time where we have a nutritionist supporting the women's squad. So we've Mm -hmm. just had um, a person in place for maybe two months now. Um, I would help as much as I could at the start of this season. And again, where I was just going to be temporarily, my focus is the first team. And it was kind of like, I will assist as much as I can. But it's, again, the the funding in the women's game isn't, equal to the men's but also Mm -hmm. the income generation isn't equal so you see why but it's a case of look their, their match meal hotel menus reviewing those they aren't to the same standard so what changes can we make and still not run away with ourselves in terms of budget so tweaking things like that and then we've had a nutritionist in place and they found just the, the nutrition education for the women's is so much lower. And this guy, he's worked with um, top flight men's football. Yep. So he's seen the difference between between both kind of groups. Yeah, their nutrition education isn't as high, but they've had minimal exposure. And like some of the players on the women's team are top flight women's players, but again, they've still just not had the nutrition support. So it is a lot more basic nutrition fundamentals, mm-hmm. understanding what nutrients are in foods, food groups, looking at how we can get variety into the women's diets, looking at how we educate them on basic, again, fueling and recovery fundamentals. Within um, a, a more limited time the the nutritionist is in um, at least one day a week but again yep. I'm here full time we have mm-hmm. we're gonna have next season we'll have three nutritionists just with the first team so you you, right you can see yeah it's a massive And again, again the club is really invested in the nutrition provision and we're trying to extend that into the women's game because we see there are differences in their kind of um nutrition knowledge and dietary intakes but again because they've had limited exposure they're like sponges when it comes to information they ask more Compliance questions they're ready to it's working with that those athlete groups that are clamoring out for support and information so in terms of engagement they're probably a lot more engaged than than the men's squad because they haven't had that kind of support before whereas Uh, some of the men's players probably had nutrition input from when they were 15, 16 and they've got three people around them supporting them from next season so yeah it's a lot more it's a very different environment from the men's and women's but but again the club is really invested in supporting the women's programme they are now based on a training centre Um, they have their own facility within our site as well the food provision is now all in-house so again we have a lot more control over what's being done we have one of our chefs is dedicated for the women's team she works across the the overall training center and the academy and the men's team as well so she sees what is going on elsewhere and where she is able to take ideas from what we're doing our side and implement it with the women's squad as well it's just it's just exponentially i would i think the the women's team management would agree that in the last 6 months they've just had massive amount of progression in terms of the support to them not not just from nutrition across the board like i say the they have a dedicated we built them a mini training centre on our site now as well they have their own training pitches so it's a um, massive improvement for, for the women's game here and I think that just again evidences the, the club investment in their programme as well as supporting the men's team I think everyone understands how important it is to improve provision for for female athletes
0: that's tremendous it's great to see yeah that that provision increasing mm. and as you said it, we see this a lot with olympic athletes don't we as well mm. who are not you know the funding's only to a certain level yeah. and they're like in the sense yeah. of wanting to have the support and what else yeah. can you do and i like how you know you're mentioning here all these sort of key fundamentals that we need to get in place mm. before we get into any type of real mm.
1: um the nitty-gritty you know, personalize stuff, yeah. or
0: customize because we, yeah. we've got so much to build on initially yeah. and Again, if we transition to, you know, end of season, you guys had a tremendous finish, obviously qualifying in yep. the top four. As you go through the off-season now and you start up thinking about the preseason for next year, mm-hmm. if you think about lab testing biomarkers, are there certain markers that you like to run or that are important for your program that you want to make sure are, are checked off the list?
1: Yeah. So um, when the guys return in, we'll have, uh, your usual screening day and we'll do a blood assessment. So we'll run a, a nutrition panel within overall blood assessment and there's a whole load of nutritional markers that we might be um, implementing uh, mm-hmm. that will dictate some of our menu planning. So because we do our individualized menu approach, when we see a guy is low in a particular nutrient, vitamin or mineral, Mm -hmm. We plan that into their menus. So if they're low on their zinc intake, how can we modify the foods that are going into that dish so that we're ensuring they have they're meeting, even basic RDA kind of guidelines? So um, we'll do a a blood assessment panel. We'll do a body composition assessment. Um, I'm not sure if we'll have our DEXA installed Uh, at that point. We're currently building a room for it, so...
0: If we can crossed.
1: we'll get it in, but if not we'll we'll take that assessment um possibly in the, at the end of the pre season maybe and tie it into a kind of uh yeah a timeline over like a start and end of pre season mid season uh, end of season sort of time scale um but if not we'll do our uh some of skimfold assessment there we have um a group come in and they'll do some um Sweat testing on our guys as well, that Mm -hmm. then dictates um, they can have kind of prescription hydration tablets made up. So again, they'll have different kind of sodium quantities based on their overall sweat rates. So again, we we try as much as possible when we do these um, broad assessments, how can we then make that individual and make that actually count for something in that individual's program. So we do bloods great and we can supplement off the back of that, but also how do we build that into menus, the hydration testing, how can we make sure that 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 is personalized for them as an individual, the skin Mm -hmm. fold assessment. They all have been given um, targets to try and come back at, at the end of their off season. They are um, realistic, uh, Whilst also not being kind of too easy, because again, yeah. what is really important? Like a too far to off me. Of yeah, exactly. Like what we <clears throat> we we'll find a lot of athletes, not just the guys here. Over my experience, we'll get guys that come in at a certain level at the end of an off season, and they'll really improve, and then they'll just go straight back to where they were. Whereas I'm kind of like, no, let's improve year on year. So yeah. don't come back in a wholly show of the mess. Um we it's kind of a little
0: bit better when you come back to yeah, next year we bit
1: can, by bit, especially with the younger guys, mm-hmm. you have much more potential for that kind of, of progression. Yeah. Whereas like um And Emma, you, is there a
0: frequency to the testing to the like the blood biomarkers that you appreciated It's probably pretty dynamic, but
1: Yeah, no, we we season? in general, like from a blood's point of view, we'll do an assessment at the at the return point, to so the start of pre-season. We, um, in general, we'll do one around sort of the autumn, fall period. Mm -hmm. We'll also try as best we can to do one um, either before or just after a really intense period to see if there's any Mm -hmm. impact of a really congested fixture period. Is there a knock-on effect in terms of maybe their iron levels are changing um, at certain kind of the the back end of that congestion and then again we'll try and do one sort of um, as we lead into summer months um, just to see that towards the end of the season because there's the impact of just uh, accumulation of fatigue over the course of a season is that having a knock-on effect how can we kind of do our best to keep players at the same level the whole season through essentially we don't we want to avoid any drop-offs and kind of um periods yeah, where any end
0: of year, year period is always challenging isn't it With that accumulation of the year yeah
1: like it's really for
0: playoffs in american sports and-
1: exactly like if we end up um running through a, a long season we could have up to 50 fixtures um the yeah. knock-on effect of that even like for us where we had slightly longer turnarounds between games towards the end. There's still a whole load of games we played in the lead up to that. So yeah, we might have a bit more recovery between games, but are we already kind of in a kind of poor position before we get into that bit? And
0: yeah. then
1: suddenly at the end, oh, we've got a really congested forty eight hours between fixtures. Are we able to cope with that? So it's about kind of long-term monitoring of their overall health that we're maintaining throughout the course of a season. And so you kind of have to be smart and pick and choose when are your critical time periods. For us, next season is going to be completely different because of the World Cup. So we're going to have probably a break period. I think there's maybe a six-week period where there's no Premier League fixtures, no... Other football going on apart from World Cup. So, what? How are we going to cope with that? And kind of, what are our critical windows that we need to make sure players are good when they come up to that break period? Are they good when they come back from that break period? What's the overall just impact of a World Cup at a different time of year going to have? Because it's not at the traditional time. Traditional time,
0: yeah. I imagine a lot of the players at Tottenham will be playing for their various countries, but I also imagine there's some players that might not be playing, and so that must present another challenge to you and 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 the staff.
1: That's the thing. We might might only have a handful of who are not um, involved, but what do we do with them? (laughs) How do Mm -hmm. we keep their training stimulus high without overdoing it, Um, Mm -hmm. making sure that they're best prepared for when um, normal football resumes? Are they ready for that? Or have we underdone it and they're not and they're undercooked overcooked that bacon and athlete yeah. is yeah it
0: seems to be hard. the two the two sides isn't it the ones that are competing at the world cup are going to come back yeah hopefully are not too ready? overcooked are and the other ones are going to be yeah that's the
1: thing though sometimes i think the groups that are not involved in those big competitions sometimes they're almost equally at risk of being overcooked because you feel like you have to be doing something with Things, them yeah Whereas yeah. it's kind of, it's going to be a really interesting season to see kind of what the approaches are, and, and all clubs are going to do it slightly differently because all coaches have different philosophies and approaches. So it's yeah. going to be a very interesting, interesting Yeah, I think everyone has learned through the pandemic to be an adaptable person and practitioner. Mm-hmm. This is just going to be another, another kind of test. adaptability test. So I think we're all well averse to dealing with changes though.
0: yeah and obviously the world cup's a stressful event or competing for the country competing in the premiership if we talk about you know mental health stresses on the player you know from what you've seen and experienced over your career whether at tottenham or previously you know we see trends especially in north american sports with younger athletes struggling with more sort of anxiety or even low mood at ages that would be surprising from a generation ago where we, you know we wouldn't necessarily see that so curious to see you know, what you've seen in your experience
1: i think it's interesting when you say like we might not have seen it 10 years ago i think maybe they just didn't communicate things as much on um, people were just not as aware so we probably had the same incidents of people experiencing bouts of anxiety and depression but our overall societal acceptance that that is a thing has probably improved so
0: i For think sure. it's definitely part of it
1: everyone's a lot more aware um, of kind of keeping an eye on people. But I think fundamentally there are always those guys that work in sport that have always been very aware of keeping an eye on their athletes and a hand mm-hmm. on the shoulder, an arm around when when needs be. Um, I think there's, from my experiences um, working across Different, different sports. I find footballers really, I think they're actually really mentally tough because mm. they've been doing it from such a young age and they're really used to this intense competition. They're mm-hmm. used to going out on a week to week basis and standing in front of 60,000 people. Whereas, like in, in rugby, they like, clubs, the stadiums don't hold as many people. So when it comes to like the big games, the big games are big games. Mm -hmm. Whereas in football, a big game is just slightly bigger than the last big game because every game is massive. Yeah. And the crowds are huge. And I think they're just, they have to be really mentally tough and their media exposure, they're all under such scrutiny that I think there there are definitely times where you you know athletes are down. It's easier obviously spot through through periods of injury, but there's sometimes there's there's periods where the player hasn't just been on top form and they've been scrutinized for that and you can see there's a change in their mood and in their form. And I think it's just really important that you're asking them how they are asking them more about them as again it comes back to those soft skills asking if they're okay as a person and also knowing some guys don't want to share everything with Mm -hmm. you because they're probably happy to share it with friends families partners or maybe just one of the support staff that they like that they get on with well and I think mm. what what we as a team here is it's really important for us to communicate that so we don't have to yeah. ask a Solve player every, every day how are you feeling yeah mm-hmm. sometimes it's like he's a bit down I don't think asking is going to help so because it's natural it's like with injured players you ask them how they are all the time because they're injured mm-hmm. it's natural to so like how are you sometimes they just want to tell you to piss off but they'll just go, yeah, fine, because they're not an asshole, so they're not going to tell you to piss off. But sometimes mm-hmm. you need your colleagues just to flag that person's not in the best of moods, or yeah, they're they're having going on again. for a little yeah, longer than normal. Or
0: like, it's amazing how they have those conversations between the training staff, the PT staff, yourself. Yeah, if people are picking up on these behaviors that are yeah out of the normal, what they normally are, now all of a sudden yeah. It's, that's the time thing for maybe a conversation or for one of those individuals yeah, and to... who's
1: the best person to that conversation as well because yeah. it doesn't need everyone sticking their nose in when <laughs> all <it's> three just... <laughs> yeah it's very much like very intense then for for an athlete mm-hmm. to be peppered by everyone how they are oh shit i'm injured <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not going to be in great form so maybe just the one person needs to to check in with them and they don't need peppering yeah. all the time and some people Yeah, they do just need a bit of attention every now and again. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you have to... As long as you're communicating with your staff, and and especially for me coming in, I had to ask a lot about what's that person like, what's that player like, what is the nice one on the next? Because some are, like, really intense characters. Yeah. And so there's different ways of doing it. Some have maybe not had the best, um, easiest upbringing. So... Mm -hmm deal with them in a different kind of way like there's lots of different nuances to to these guys even though they might have all been coming through a football program since they were under 10 their actual background and temperaments are very different so it was important for me to ask a lot about what's that person like and Mm -hmm. how I deal with them is different
0: I was gonna say on that continuum sort of mental health into mental performance you know with sort of performance psychologist at Tottenham you know that's always an interesting aspect of how mindset dovetails into even things like nutrition but mm-hmm. curious in terms of the mental performance side you know, how that fits into the model or how that impacts you as the director of performance nutrition I mean from
1: my experience working with psychologists is always a really positive thing because I mean you know mm-hmm. yourself like I would say like 80% of what a nutritionist is doing is actually related to behavior as opposed to nutrition science. You science is easy, science is science. (laughs) How do you get someone to do what you want them to? (laughs) That and that's not what I'm trained in. I might have a skill set that enables me to assist with that, but working with a psychologist on certain players is is really important and being able to try and understand how that person ticks, like I say you, you might you talk to your support staff about it, but the psychologist is there to really kind of enhance your ability to execute what you want. Um, they've always had consultancy positions here um, at the club. And I think in football, it generally is becoming a lot more, I don't know, people are a lot more accepting of having psychology support in, which is which is a positive shift. I still don't think it's where it should be kind of across football, but um there. In the right direction. Yeah, like here, we're going to have a full-time psychologist on staff, I think, from, from next season. So, again, just the shift and the positive impact that will make. And, and it's not just the players that you actually need to be aware staff of. as well, right? <laughs> yeah, like the staff, especially the guys that are literally travelling on the road week to week. And In general, we have kind of a core travelling staff group. For mm-hmm. consistency, so players see the same faces when they're on the road yeah. that know their like match day routine and needs. Yeah. So it's really positive that we have that, but also that's really relentless for staff as well. Yeah. So you know when someone's not on top form or when they are a lot more irritable than normal. And it's again being very conscious of that and how much of the daily normal abuse and kind of digs you can get in and how when is the time not to not to be kind of going in at someone about xyz I think it's really important to be aware of of staff as well because the more you can build relationships with your staff the better you're going to have um the better ability you're going to have at integrating and interacting with players if you know more about What's wrong with that person there? What happened on the weekend if you weren't there? What happened on this day if you were off? Like yeah. from a club point of view, again, it's it probably quite unheard of. But they, re, they we really try and encourage people to have the two days off a week. So for that yeah. very reason, like with our, we have a um, um, kind of match day nutritionist who travels a lot. It's really mm-hmm. important that I make sure he's having. Appropriate days off and the timing of those as well. Because I know yeah. after a really long European trip, he's going to be dead. <laughs> so make sure his day off is match day plus one or plus whenever kind of yeah. suit. But making sure he's having adequate time off, I think, is really important because, like in rugby, it was a weekly, week to week, there were down yeah, periods. E- to, yeah. yeah. There's been periods of time where we don't have like the squad doesn't have days off. So the players Mm -hmm. are in every day for weeks at a time. We need to make sure that staff are having days off still to be able to cope with with that pressure. Staff days are longer than player days. Mm -hmm. I don't think the players always realise that (laughs) these guys might (laughs) be here from seven in the morning until seven at night. So mm. Yeah. I think for me coming in, especially on the temporary basis at the start, was to make sure that um, I built. I was more bothered about building relationships with my colleagues than I was mm. with the players, which sounds but sounds the opposite of what you should be doing. But on a short-term yeah, basis, you I need thought, that
0: team, don't you? Yeah,
1: I need to figure out more about my like players, but utilizing the people around me so I get that information quickly. So. For me, it was really important to build like good relationships with my medical department, where we sit. We're all in a massive office together. I have to be able to understand all the people around me that are going to be around me a lot more than the players are, but it will enable me to have better interactions with players.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such an interesting aspect, and mm-hmm. even the sort of performance staff, health side of things we always talk sort of nutrition and sleep and recovery for the athletes and yeah. as you mentioned performance staff logging such long hours if we're yeah. not supporting their health how, how do we expect them to perform yeah. at the top of their abilities as well so Emma, i really appreciate you carving out some time i know you have long busy days mm-hmm. it's been a long season so rounding things out here for you when you look at things you know five years down the road where do you see you know, the next frontiers in performance nutrition going
1: i think from a team sport element i really hope that uh we do move away from a buffet approach. I found it, and I think before having done it here, I would have thought being able to do individualized menus for team sport athletes on this scale would be like, oh God, yeah, impossible. <laughs> yeah. But actually, we've done it. And it works really mm-hmm. well. And I know that it's top nutrition practice. So I would hope that from team sports that it does shift that way. It might not be an everyday thing, but if you know that you need to ensure your athlete is getting six grams per kilogram on a match day minus one, how how about you plan their meals to, to have that? I mean, you mm-hmm. can always get used to portioning and you might do weighted foods, but... Mm-hmm we actually can do this bespoke menu planning on a team sport scale. So I'd hope there is a, a bigger shift to individualization for a team sport. I think that's, that's something, having now seen that it's doable, I hope that becomes more more kind of commonplace, common practice. It might not be in the same way, but I think it's important mm-hmm. that we, we realize as nutrition practitioners that it is possible.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, the downstream effects of a player seeing a plate that's appropriate mm-hmm. for them, it's of what that might do to when, they, when, when for they're you. eating at home, yeah. when they're not, yeah. all of a sudden, that plate's going to look, start looking a lot more yeah. like what you're trying yeah. to give them, isn't it? So and, that's that's and tremendous. And like
1: they know that they need to get more of mineral X, Y, Z,
0: and mm-hmm. they do
1: it. The training said, oh, I'll just put those foods at home as well. I'm like These guys yeah. have personal chefs and everything. We can then communicate to the chefs. Here's their training day measure. Here's what we're after what are you doing at home and um, we can demand more of the people providing food at home mm-hmm. in in the kind of training environment so i think it just pushes the standards of, of team sport nutrition
0: fantastic and well listen one last one for you if you know the, a, one big lesson or one piece of advice that you might give you know, an aspiring performance nutritionist or sport dietitian, or even an snc coach who's got a deep interest in nutrition from your from your career at this point?
1: Um, I always think uh, from from being a a female working in men's sport, I think my advice is to persevere because it's really challenging. It's it's more challenging in this environment than I've ever had before because Mm -hmm. of kind of football tradition. But I think Bit by bit, I've managed to change perception of being a female practitioner um, and what that means and how you go about your business. Um, But I think it's be persistent, be relentless and keep pushing. Like, it's really important. There's definite periods where you'll feel like, oh, this is very hard. Um, Surely this would be easier to do something to work in another sport to work in And like I've seen female practitioners completely drop out of the the profession because it's just really hard. Whereas I just think yeah. just keep keep pushing and the same not just for not just for female practitioners. Sport nutrition can be really tough. So if you're passionate about it, you just gotta kind of keep pushing. Stick with it, and you you will get inroads, and you'll make progress, and you will be able to shift and change perceptions so that you're able to do the outstanding job that you're capable of.
0: My tremendous! And I really <laughs> appreciate the insights. This has been this has been great. I could pick your your brain all afternoon, but I feel uh, like no I no have a waffle time, on so. a lot as
1: well. So it's probably best <laughs> that
0: we do. Uh, you know, where can people stay connected with you and then your tremendous work?
1: Uh, in terms of like social media i use twitter for work so um yeah. i usually just retweet jobs though promote jobs in sport nutrition <laughs> so uh, yeah that's probably my main like uh, i'm on linkedin as well it's like a work point of view, so then they'd be my kind of work socials as it were
0: perfect we'll include those links in the show notes oh. and again thanks again and enjoy some enjoy at least a few weeks off before you guys get back at it
1: yes i definitely will perfect thank you thanks for having me on
0: Thank you for listening to the performance nutrition podcast to watch the full video interview and short clips from this episode. Check out our YouTube channel performance nutrition podcast. Finally, if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate review and subscribe all that good stuff. It's a massive help for the show until next time. Take care.